We get a lot of special stars in the sky or phases of the moon for our meetings. So it's a nice blessing. Can mention this is often a tough time of year emotionally or mentally for people with less light. The solstice is the darkest day of the year. And I think it's possible that nature selected for this trait to become more withdrawn, even depressed. So you think of all the characteristics of depression, low energy, low motivation. Well, especially for people in the northern part of the world, if you had high energy and a lot of ambition and drive around this time of year, it would be hard to stay put in whatever home you're in or cabin. So we know that other animals hibernate, but even humans probably needed to slow down. And those that naturally did could have uh, been chosen by evolution. And those that had more cabin fever might not have made it. So I think that there's some wisdom in our bodies anyway to try to slow down at this time of year. But because of modern life and technology and the channeling and harvesting of different energies, and because of clothing, humans don't need to really slow down or they don't need to change too much in, the, in their lifestyle. But I think this creates a tension in the mind. I personally have always enjoyed winter and most of my winters have been in the Midwest. So they've been cold and, and dark like most of us here tonight probably. I enjoyed it in the, as a child because I learned basketball probably like five or six years old in Indiana and that quickly became one of the most favorite things to do for me. But the actual basketball season is in the winter. And for basketball in school, like elementary school through high school, it usually didn't start until after Thanksgiving because football season went to, into November. And the first tournament started happening around maybe right after Thanksgiving or Christmas tournament. So there was really no time for me to be able to slow down or, or have a sense of what's going on. And, and when you're playing basketball, I can remember all winter long being in shorts and a t-shirt. So go to the gym, have practice or have games, and you're just dripping with sweat. And as a kid, as a child, you, you got so much energy, you don't even feel the cold. And by the time it warmed up to even above freezing, I was back outside playing basketball again in sweatpants and sweatshirt maybe. And then as a young man, I started to get seriously interested in meditation and led me to India, as many of you know, when I had just turned 27. And I believe I arrived in India on December 1st. So the most intense meditative training of my life began in winter and really launched in the month of December. And since then, I have always looked forward to this time of year because it supports me 
in my meditation practice. It's easier for me to be still. It's easier for me to do introspection when it's really cold outside and when there's less light. I've come to view meditation as a mini version of the solstice. You close your eyes and everything's dark. But in time, you'll be able to see light within. And so it's a miniature version of the solstice in that there's very little light, but, but you got to search for it because everything's dark when you close your eyes. And I think the solstice is a mini version of a longer period of darkness in the world, sort of like this year of the pandemic. Darkness means it's, it's a time of retreating and needing to be more withdrawn from society. Darker in the sense that many people have died, many people are struggling, still struggling. I think there's fear looming over uh, millions of people who could be evicted from their homes. I know millions of people were waiting in lines at Christmas for food donations. So it's important to keep all those who are hurting in, in our thoughts and prayers and as those who we can reach out to and serve with, with our community efforts. But meditation being this practice of the inner solstice and then the outer solstice being the practice for darker periods of life and the darker periods of life being a miniature version of life itself being surrounded by death. No matter how long we live, it's just a little blip on the radar of eternity. And the rest of the time is not existing, at least in this way, in the body. And that's a miniature version of the universe. If you laid out a map of our solar system, you'd have the sun like the nucleus of an atom in the center. And then you just put eight dots on that map for the planets, like electrons orbiting this nucleus, and the rest, dark space. And then if you laid out a map of the universe, it would be like huge gaps between those atoms of, of dark space. So the universe is essentially darkness and emptiness with just a tiny bit of matter. It's like 99.9 .9 repeating emptiness, vacuum. And we live on this rock. It feels large, like there's lots of, lots of land, lots of places to go to. You could never see all of its beauty. And yet it's just the tiniest speck in the universe. So darkness is on all sides of us, just as death is always uh, lurking in the shadows. And that's why it's so important to have a spiritual practice, to have a contemplative practice, and a way to systematically proceed with introspection. I felt like going to India was facing the darkness. Beginning that training was to launch an expedition into the, the dark night of one's own being. Because our uh, very existence is shrouded in mystery. I mean, we understand how we got here in, in the sense that we understand reproduction and birth and so on. 
conception. But why is their life, how is their life, how, are, how is their conscious life, intelligent life, human life on this planet? It's still very much a mystery. And as Kim said, animals follow the cycles in nature. And when we can do this better, we can develop the attitude of equanimity towards the changes, the inner and outer changes. Hibernation is such a unique and special feature of different animals. I think of bears when I think of hibernation. There's some debate among scientists as to whether or not it's actually hibernation. I'll just use hibernation more liberally, meaning that period of torpor or slowing down the metabolism for different animals. But the black bears that hibernate during the winter months give birth, the, the mother bears give birth during the hibernation period. So virtually all black bears are Aquarians, They're born in the month of February. The, mo the mother bear gives birth and then they nurse until she wakes up. So some of the unique or remarkable changes that happen in, in hibernation is everything slows down, metabolism slows down. For some animals, it's so dramatic though, like there's a, a type of bat whose heart rate goes from a thousand beats per minute down to like 20. There's a, a, an arctic ground squirrel that hibernates and it essentially goes into sus suspended animation. It breathes once in a, in a great while. The heart rate goes from hundreds of beats per minute down to like five. And its body temperature just adjusts with the, with the ambient temperature. There's also a different version of hibernation that actually happens in warm seasons called estivation. But the animal does something very similar. Like lungfish in Australia, one of the rare kinds of aquatic life that can breathe air. When the bodies of water dry up in hot months, it can also hibernate in a slightly different way, but it kind of burrows into mud and maintains moisture on the inside, even though the outside becomes dry and then it reemerges when there's water again. This is largely the reason why a lot of different animals hibernate anyway, is to conserve water or to be able to survive without access to much water and food, of course. But the bear, for instance, doesn't really need food because it has a 20,000 calorie diet prior to its hibernation. The bear and other animals that are hibernating do not have to urinate or defecate during their period of hibernation. This is, uh, I think, has a, a symbolism for us as well during our spiritual hibernation. It can mean that we need to be able to take what we consider to be the pain or waste of our life and learn how to recycle it like the bear does. The bear is able to stay hydrated by drawing fluid from the stored fat and even though it's not drinking and food's not passing through the intestines, cells still produce waste urea and the bear breaks down that waste into amino acids. It's remarkable what the body can do. And so we can also think about the mistakes, the, the pain, 
the things that we regret, the hurts that we've been through, and see how we can break it down in our contemplation, in our periods of reflection, and find something useful out of it. Can it make us stronger? Can it make us wiser? Can it make us more loving? The bear breaks down the, uh, the urea into amino acids. It consumes the stored fat. And there's been some debate and curiosity about whether or not human beings can hibernate. Because between bears and humans, it's not like they have a bunch of organs for hibernation that we don't have. We share many of the same systems. Although they have some different genetics that express themselves in the cold weather. There are some anecdotes of human beings going into different types of low animation or suspended animation. There was a skier once in Norway that fell into a waterfall in the winter and survived after being essentially frozen for seven hours and was uh, rehabilitated and is, it, I think, a, a, a doctor in Norway today. Somebody else was trapped in a mountain in Japan and entered into some kind of hibernative state and was able to survive as well. And there are stories of yogis going without a heartbeat and without a breath. I've heard many of those stories. There's also been a few yogis that have been studied by medical science for a few days to a few weeks without drinking water or food. You can read about some of those. I know the there's a couple articles in, that have been uh, reported by the BBC before about um, doctors studying yogis not eating or drinking for an extended period of time. But it may be that this gene isn't expressed in humans because we have different ways of dealing with the cold. So some of these studies suggest that it's possible that gene is within us or the chemicals required for hibernation are within us, but it only gets triggered in rare circumstances. So there are some scientists and doctors that are researching mammals hibernation and trying to see if there might be something we can uncover to be able to create this response in humans. And the value of that for human beings would be a fewfold. One would be traveling in space. So if we eventually go to Mars, as people are planning, that's going to be at least a nine-month journey, maybe to two years. So if, if humans could go into a low-energy cargo state, they could deal with their boredom. And like the bear, the bones and the muscles do not atrophy, even though they're not being used for months. So if there's something about this state that can preserve the integrity of our bones and our muscles, then perhaps we could travel farther in space. Of course, that's not going very far, going to Mars, and the closest star system is Alpha Centauri, which is about four light years away. So even if we could get our travel speed up from 25,000 miles per hour up to, say, 100,000 miles per hour, it would still take about 300 years to get to 
that star system. And that's just the next one. But maybe if there are ways to hibernate, then human beings would not necessarily live longer, but could postpone their life, so to speak, until they arrived on those distant destinations. Perhaps this is coming. I personally think that most likely this will be figured out by science, how to induce hibernation in human beings. There are some chemicals and some molecular studies that show that this is probably possible for us. And what will likely happen is probably the extremely wealthy will have access to it first, first sort of like cryogenic freezing. And you'll get to have the benefit of deciding how you want to spend your time. Like maybe people won't have to live during periods of difficulty or famine or war and so on. But the other very practical use for hibernating would be in healthcare. If a person has a terminal illness and we could induce extended hibernation until we understand that illness better, or a traumatic injury where a patient only has seconds to live and to be operated on if you could put them into a low power state and even if that could buy minutes or hours for uh, those responding in surgery that that could save save life it's definitely an interesting ethical question about whether or not it would be good to hibernate and extend your life a hundred years or or even to achieve immortality in that way. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's just like anything else. It all depends on what's important to you. Because obviously, if you extended your life hundreds of years in hibernation, you'll be in a different world. Your family probably won't be there anymore. And if you were a space traveler, uh, yeah, all the rules of, of this part of the of the universe would would be different. So... It depends on what's important. But coming back to meditation and hibernation, the symbolism here is that if we learn how to respond wisely to the changes in nature, you will naturally develop a sense of equanimity. Practicing sitting and looking at the inner stars has just given me a type of balance of mind that I didn't know was even possible. I couldn't even say that that's what I was going for because if you're not familiar with what that feels like, there's no way to, to know like that you could even experience it. But I've felt it as almost just like a byproduct of sitting. I was motivated to know something, to know more about myself, but the, but the side benefit was the calmness, the equanimity that comes with the changes of life. And we can achieve it just by looking forward to this time of year to be more more withdrawn in terms of spirituality. Then after I came back from India some years later, there was a, a temple that was started in 2010, the Temple of Harmony in Joliet, and I started to go there in the winter after working or coming home from touring and ending that part of the season. And I would spend like two hours every evening in meditation there. And I became good friends with the monks. And they would support me in my practice. And they would you know, even make dinner. And then I wouldn't have to worry about making food even. 
um, because they were happy and they wanted to encourage people in the community who were interested in meditating more sincerely. And, and that was something else that I looked forward to, that time when I could just be more and more still. And it really felt like the winter and the cold and the darkness made it all possible. And for that, I'm so grateful for the, for the darkness. I'm so grateful to the cold months for the ability to be able to go within and not feel like I was missing out on anything. And the opportunity to create all the music that was created mostly in the winter and recorded mostly in the winter throughout my, my musical career. I want to bring this part to a pause here by pointing out that at Christmas time and in the, in the new year, we're just days away from the end of this difficult year and the start of a new one. People often ask each other what they want this year this new year or what do they want for Christmas let's reflect on this nine months like how the bear gives birth at during this hibernation or how a human being gestates for nine months instead of thinking about what do we want let's ask ourselves what do we want to give what do we want to birth out of this period of retreat in the new year Hibernation is not the same as sleep. The brains of hibernating animals have been studied to some extent, and it's very different than sleep. And after a bear hibernates, it actually has to sleep a lot to adjust after waking up from hibernation. It needs sleep. And also, I think the bear releases a ton of waste shortly after it comes out of hibernation, which is kind of, you know, kind of like what we probably want to do metaphysically with this year and with any year. We want to be able to release whatever is not serving us and then birth that, that new life, rebirth, emerge again into the world, but it's a new version of ourselves, like a better version of ourselves, a wiser version. So we can be th reflecting on that also. What is it that I don't want to go back to, that I want to release for good after this uh, difficult nine-month period? There are signs of hope, which is good, and not just scientific reasons to be hopeful, but also the, the astrological ones and astronomical ones, like this grand planetary conjunction the other day was like a rare gift once in 400 years or something like that. A perfect reason to look into the night sky again, to look up. It's amazing how little we look to the sky anymore because we don't need to. Our ancestors had to look at the sky just to be able to navigate, to find their way. But in my travels out west over the last few weeks, I was fortunate enough to be able to see that grand conjunction from three states and three consecutive nights perfectly clear. That was uh, the closest that 
Jupiter and Saturn have aligned with Earth and the Sun in 400 years, so it almost looked like they were one star in the sky. But if you had a telescope, you could see the ring around Saturn and you could see that it was two, not one. Well, we will conclude tonight with a solstice meditation, a winter meditation, but I would like to open it up once again if anyone else had something to share or if you have any questions for me about anything that I've talked about or about mindfulness and meditation or coping with seasonal affect disorder and the winter blues, feel free to ask a question too. Um, so you were talking about like seasonal affective disorder and like in the winter months like people feeling kind of like down and depressed. So like if we didn't have like such pressure to like maintain the like high standards that we have all year round, like we only worked like 20 hours during the week, like that was, that was like a full time job and like no one had to be able to like 10 a.m. and everybody went to sleep by like 5 p.m. and we just were able to nap. Like, if like the expectations were a lot different, do you think that people would just naturally feel less depressed because they wouldn't feel like they like can't keep up with other people? And... Like, I think it's more complicated than just that, but just those things alone would just allow a lot of relief for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said. I was in New Mexico the other week and um, I was alone and staying at our, a little ranch that's in my family outside of Santa Fe in the mountains. And there's no heat there. So I had, and there's no one around. So I had to build a fire and while I was building the fire, it was a little challenging to, to get this wood-burning stove going. It kept going out, kept going out, but it probably took me, <laughs> it's embarrassing to say, it probably took me at least an hour to build a fire. But I loved it. It was really beautiful. Once the fire was going, it's probably like six or seven in the evening, I was I was done. Like I just wanted to lay down then. <laughs> and, like that's that's enough work for today and I felt really good I and as soon as the Sun comes up you want to get up because you went to bed so early and you have the right kind of energy to get the firewood together for the next fire to go get food ready I wish I could gift that experience to so many people especially those who struggle with this time of year because there's something so healing about building a fire yourself and also building a fire because you have to to survive not just for aesthetics <laughs> like the the youtube yule log <laughs> you know? but but because you need it to survive to keep warm it focuses the mind in a way that we don't normally have access to and yeah because of all all the technology our demands are exactly the same. Our demands with work from society. I don't think that's healthy. It's it's sort of like a lot of things that we have to sacrifice so that we can move in mass. There, 
there's so much to be desired from mass education. Every, everybody knows that, that we have to compromise so much to be able to move an entire group of children the exact same age all together to the next grade. That's a difficult task, so you, you have to make a lot of sacrifices. Similarly with seasons, to be able to keep everything functioning and, and the corporations and everything, you have to make a, a lot of sacrifices. I was reading a book called The Bed of Procrustes on this trip, and the author said something like, the opposite of manliness is not cowardice, it, the opposite of manliness is technology. <laughs> As technology can do everything for us, you don't have to find this harmony with nature. That's just another way to think of uh, strength, is trusting in nature and aligning with nature. I think you're right. I think a lot, there would be so many mental health benefits to be in a situation where you could honor those transitions. Thank you. Yes, we're talking about the, the parallels between hibernation and meditation. Meditation will slow the metabolic processes as you continue to practice, and immediately it will start to slow down your breathing and your heart rate. Patients especially are taking to meditation with different tools like apps and um, equipment that can you can put on your on your head or around your wrist that will give you biofeedback. So when a patient tells me or a client tells me, um, you know, meditation doesn't do anything for me with my anxiety, it can be just what the, that's the story in their head about meditation. But when they're practicing like mindful breathing and they see their heart rate going down and the signs of anxiety de decreasing, it can have a really powerful effect on one's... Um, attitude towards this practice. Good question from Christina. Is there a difference between hibernation and escaping? Well, you know, some... It, it depends on what you mean by escape. Now, I was just listening to an interview with the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus, Yuval Noah Harari. He practices Vipassana meditation and he spends one to two months, I think around this time of year, on meditation retreat every year, up to 60 days. This is a famous intellectual who sold like 20 million copies of his books and he says that it's not an escape from that, it is basically like it, it's two months of reality where all he does is focus on reality whereas the rest of the time is really the escape you know so as like i've said before one way to think about meditation is not doing so if we think that meditation is like one more thing we got to do in in that sense we're thinking of it in the wrong way because you don't have to find time to not work you don't have to find time to not eat but we do culturally so escaping, it's, it, it depends, you know, because every act that we do with the body is just that. It's an act. Even becoming meditative and spiritual, I, I see, oh, there's another actor here, me. Now, now I got to 
Now I'm acting as the the spiritual guy. Is <laughs> the in the music, playing the guitar, playing the banjo. Oh, it's another act. Play like a, like an artist. Play the role of an artist. Meaning everything is an act. In every relationship, you got to act a certain way. You're talking to teacher, you act a certain way. You talk to the child, you act a different way. Right? So life is constant uh, theater, which is fine as long as we don't forget being. Like all this doing, right? But if we think of this as not escaping from reality, escaping to reality. Yes, it, it may be an escape, but it may be very necessary. Thank you, though. Very, very wise re question, reflection. Yolanda mentions in deep meditation, breath slows down, mind is much calmer. True, like hibernating. And when we're asleep, not dreaming, deep sleep, the breath is basically how I was breathing in meditation, except it makes the sound. Now that's going to be less than 10 times per minute. And that's ordinarily the only time a person is really into the dark stillness. But it's a kind of ignorant state because we we're not aware of what's going on. Now when we do that with uh, awareness, then, then it's a, a meditative, con contemplative, introspective practice. Thank you, Tony. Not escaping nor avoiding reality. Is that med the meditation or the hibernation that we're talking about? Yes, because you're turning towards reality with the meditative practice, with mindfulness also. Meaning that if there is something painful, you notice it, you pay attention to it. You wouldn't turn away from it. So this becomes really valuable in life with whatever's there, pleasant or unpleasant. Our thoughts can be something that we notice coming and going. We feel like we're the author of our thoughts. We've talked about that before. But really, when you practice meditation, you start to discover the mystery of thought. That it's like reading a book. You really don't know what the next line is going to be what will be written on the next page. I was driving in Southern California to here, and it was storming pretty bad, pretty badly. And I had the idea I would think about tonight and what I could share. But then the traffic came to a standstill because a semi-truck had flipped over, had flipped over the median in the... Uh, which was in the middle of the interstate because of some construction. There was a median wall that was like half my height. And I could see the semi like flipped over that and was like a seesaw on it. It looked like such a terrible accident. And I felt so sorrowful for, for a bit. And all my thoughts were going towards the driver of the truck and anyone else who was injured in that accident in the storm. But that's not what I planned to think about. I thought I knew what I would be, would be thinking about. I thought I, I had made the choice what I wanted to think about. And that's also what this year has taught us. 
more so than any other year. You, you probably, like me, had plans for 2020 that couldn't materialize. We had a retreat planned at early in the year that we couldn't do. Similarly, that's how the mind is, and you'll, you'll realize it in meditation. So then what? Well, then you are aware of reality. You're just noticing reality without the attachment to it, without the identification with it. It's very painful to feel like I am the author of every thought. The suffering that comes with that I-ness, that's what meditation or spirituality liberates one from. Mm. 